Chapter 20, Part 6 of The Commentaries on the Laws of England, Book 2, by William Blackstone. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Roy Haynes. Of Alienation by Deed, Part 6. Of the two more ancient distinctions, the courts of equity quickly availed themselves. In the first case, it was evident that B was never intended by the parties to have any beneficial interest, and, in the second, the chestwe keuse of the term was expressly driven into the court of chancery to seek his remedy, and therefore the court determined that though these were not uses which the statute could execute, yet still they were trusts in equity, which in conscience ought to be performed. To this the reason of mankind assented, and the doctrine of uses was revived under the denomination of trusts, and thus, by this strict construction of the courts of law, a statute made upon great deliberation, and introduced in the most solemn manner, has had little other effect than to make a slight alteration in the formal words of a conveyance. However, the courts of equity, in the exercise of this new jurisdiction, have widely avoided in great degree those mischiefs which made uses intolerable. They now consider a trust estate, either when expressly declared or resulting by necessary implication, as equivalent to the legal ownership governed by the same rules of property and liable to every charge in equity which the other is subject to in law, and by a long series of uniform determinations for now near a century past, with some assistance from the legislature, they have raised a new system of rational jurisprudence by which trusts are made to answer in general all the beneficial ends of uses without their inconvenience or frauds. The trustee is considered merely as the instrument of conveyance, and can in no shape affect the estate, unless by alienation for a valuable consideration to a purchaser without notice, which, as Chestway K. Use is generally in possession of the land, is a thing that can rarely happen. The trust will descend, may be aliened, is liable to debts, to forfeiture, to leases and other encumbrances, nay, even to the courtesy of the husband, as if it were in a state at law. It has not yet indeed been subject to dower, more from a cautious adherence to some hasty precedence than from any well-grounded principle. It hath also been held not liable to a shet to the Lord, in consequence of attainder or want of heirs, because the trust could never be intended for his benefit. But let us now return to the statute of uses. The only service, as was before observed, to which this statute is now consigned, is in giving efficacy to certain new and secret species of conveyances, introduced in order to render transactions of this sort as private as possible, and to save the trouble of making livery of season, the only ancient conveyance of corporeal freeholds, the security and notoriety of which public investiture abundantly overpaid the labor of going to the land, or of sending an attorney in one's stead. 
but this now has given way to 12. A 12th species of conveyance called a covenant to stand seized to uses by which a man seized of lands covenants in consideration of blood or marriage that he will stand seized of the same to the use of his child, wife, or kinsman for life in tail or in fee. Here the statute executes at once the estate, for the party intended to be benefited, having thus acquired the use, is thereby put at once into corporal possession of the land, without ever seeing it, by a kind of parliamentary magic. But this conveyance can only operate when made upon such weighty and interesting considerations as those of blood or marriage. 13. A thirteenth species of conveyance introduced by this statute is that of a bargain and sale of lands, which is a kind of a real contract whereby the bargainor for some pecuniary consideration bargains and sells, that is, contracts to convey the land to the bargainee, and becomes by such bargain a trustee for, or sees to the use of, the bargainee, and then the statute of uses completes the purchase, or, as it has been well expressed, the bargain first vests the use, and then the statute vests the possession. But as it was foreseen that conveyances, thus made, would want all those benefits of notoriety which the old common law assurances were calculated to give, to prevent, therefore, clandestine conveyances of freeholds, it was enacted in the same session of Parliament by Statute 27 Henry VIII, C. 16, that such bargains and sales should not inure to pass a freehold unless the same is made by indenture and enrolled within six months in one of the courts of Westminster Hall or with the custos rotularum of the county. Clandestine bargains and sales of chattel interests or lease for years were thought not worthy of regarding as such interests were very precarious till about six years before which also occasioned them to be overlooked in framing this statute of uses, and therefore such bargains and sales were not directed to be enrolled. But how impossible it is to foresee and provide against all the consequences of innovations. This omission has given rise to 14. A fourteenth species of conveyance, viz. by lease and release, first invented by Sergeant Moore, soon after the statute of uses, and now the most common of any, and therefore not to be shaken, though very great lawyers, as particularly Mr. Noy, have formally doubted its validity. It is thus contrived. A lease, or rather a bargain and sale, upon some pecuniary consideration, for one year, is made by the tenant of the freehold to the lessee or bargainee. Now this, without any enrollment, makes the bargainer stand seized to the use of the bargainee, and vests in the bargainee the use of the term for a year, and then the statute immediately annexes the possession. He therefore, being thus in possession, is capable of receiving a release of the freehold and reversion, which, we have seen before, must be made to a tenant in possession, and accordingly, the next day a release is granted to him. This is held to supply the place of livery of season, and so a conveyance by lease and release 
is said to amount to a fiefment. 15. To these may be added deeds to lead or declare the uses of other more direct conveyances as fiefments, fines, and recoveries, of which we shall speak in the next chapter, and 16. Deeds of revocation of uses, hinted at in a former page and founded in a previous power, reserved at the raising of the uses, to revoke such as were then declared, and to appoint others in their stead, which is incident to the power of revocation. And this may suffice for a specimen of conveyances founded upon the statute of uses, and will finish our observations upon such deeds as serve to transfer real property. Before we conclude, it will not be improper to subjoin a few remarks upon such deeds as are used not to convey, but to charge or encumber lands and discharge them again, of which nature are obligations or bonds, recognizances and defeasances upon them both. 1. An obligation or bond is a deed, whereby the obliger obliges himself, his heirs, executors and administrators to pay a certain sum of money to another at a day appointed. If this be all, the bond is called a single one, simplex obligatio, but there is generally a condition added, that if the obliger does some particular act, the obligation shall be void or else shall remain in full force, as payment of rent, performance of covenants in a deed, or repayment of a principal sum of money borrowed of the obligee, with interest, which principal sum is usually one half of the penal sum specified in the bond. In case this condition is not performed, the bond becomes forfeited or absolute at law, and charges the obliger while living, and after his death the obligation descends upon his heir, who, on defect of personal assets, is bound to discharge it, provided he has real assets by descent as a recompense, so that it may be called, though not a direct, yet a collateral charge upon the lands. How it affects the personal property of the obliger will be more properly considered hereafter. If the condition of a bond be impossible at the time of making it, or be to do a thing contrary to some rule of law that is merely positive, or be uncertain, or insensible, the condition of load is void, and the bond shall stand single and unconditional. For it is the folly of the obliger to enter into such an obligation from which he can never be released. If it be to do a thing that is malum in se, the obligation itself is void, for the whole is an unlawful contract, and the obligee shall take no advantage from such a transaction. And if the condition be possible at the time of making it, and afterwards becomes impossible by the act of God, the act of law, or the act of the obligee himself, there the penalty of the obligation is saved, for no prudence or foresight of the obliger could guard against such a contingency. On the forfeiture of a bond, or its becoming single, the whole penalty was recoverable at law. But here the courts of equity interposed, and would not permit a man to take more than in conscience he ought, viz. his principal interest and expenses, in case the forfeiture accrued by non-payment of money borrowed, 
the damages sustained upon non-performance of covenants and the like. And the statute 4 and 5 and C-16 hath also enacted in the same spirit of equity that in case of a bond conditioned for the payment of money, the payment or tender of the principal sum due with interest and costs, even though the bond be forfeited and a suit commence thereon, shall be a full satisfaction and discharge. 2. A recognizance is an obligation of record which a man enters into before some court of record or magistrate duly authorized, with condition to do some particular act, as to appear at the assizes, to keep the peace, to pay a debt, or the like. It is, in most respects, like another bond, the difference being chiefly this, that the bond is the creation of a fresh debt or obligation, de novo, the recognizance is an acknowledgement of a former debt upon record, the form whereof is that A.B. doth acknowledge to owe to our Lord the King, to the plaintiff, to C.D. or the like, the sum of ten pounds, with condition to be void on performance of the things stipulated, in which case the King, the plaintiff, C.D., etc., is called the cognizzi, is a qui cognoscitor, as he that enters into the recognizance is called the cognizer, is qui cognoscit, this being either certified to or taken by the officer of some court, is witnessed only by the record of that court and not by the party's seal, so that it is not in strict propriety a deed, though the effects of it are greater than the common obligation, being allowed a priority in point of payment and binding the lands of the cognizer from the time of enrollment on record. There are also other recognizances of a private kind in nature of a statute of staple. By virtue of the statute 23 Henry VIII C6, which have already been explained and shown to be a charge upon real property. 3. A defeasance on a bond or recognizance or judgment recovered is a condition which, when performed, defeats or undoes it in the same manner as a defeasance of an estate before mentioned. It differs only from the common condition of a bond, in that the one is always inserted in the deed or bond itself. The other is made by the same parties by a separate and frequently subsequent deed. This, like the condition of a bond when performed, discharges and disencumbers the estate of the obliger. These are the principal species of deeds or matter en pais by which estates may be either conveyed or at least affected, among which the conveyances to uses are by much the most frequent of any, though in these there is certainly one palpable defect, the want of sufficient notoriety, so that purchasers or creditors cannot know with any absolute certainty what the estate and the title to it in reality are upon which they are to lay out or lend their money. In the ancient feudal method of conveyance, by giving corporal season of the lands, this notoriety was in some measure answered, but all the advantages resulting from thence are now totally defeated by the introduction of deathbed devices and secret conveyances, and there has never been yet any sufficient guard provided against fraudulent charges and encumbrances since the disuse of the old Saxon custom 
of transacting all conveyances at the county court and entering a memorial of them in the charterly or ledger book of some ancient monastery, and in the failure of the general register established by King Richard I, the mortgages made to Jews in the Capitula de Judeus, of which Hoveden has a preserved copy. How far the establishment of like general register for deeds and wills and other acts affecting real property would remedy this inconvenience deserves to be well considered. In Scotland, every act and event regarding the transmission of property is regularly entered upon record, and some of our own provisional divisions, particularly the extended county of York and the populous county of Middlesex, have prevailed with the legislatures to create such registers in their several districts. But, however plausible these provisions may appear in theory, it hath been doubted by very competent judges whether more disputes have not arisen in those counties by the inattention and omissions of the parties than prevented by the use of registers. End of chapter 20, part 6